This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Right, let me start uh, with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you that we have a moment this morning to consider your word. Lord, I thank you that um, you've recorded these words in the book of Isaiah so that we could ultimately know and love you better. Lord, you have revealed yourself to us so that we could not just desire to see you work, but desire to see you and your glory and your majesty, Lord. I thank you that as we consider what you have said in our own hearts, sometimes we doubt. Um, as we consider the words that you are writing to your people, Lord, um, others may think that is foolish and, and cause us to doubt. Um, but Lord, you patiently waiting for us to return to you. You're patiently waiting for us to, to enjoy your presence, to embrace the goodness that you offer in and through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, we have a king we can trust, um, our Lord Jesus. So I pray as we look at this passage that we would walk away from here with more confidence, not in ourselves, but more confidence in, in Jesus himself um, because of what you have revealed to us in this word. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So our series has been called The Lord Waits. Um, and we're gonna do a little survey through uh, some of the previous six chapters or so. Um, and then, so the, probably the first half, we're gonna spend kind of summarizing some of what we've already been going through as, as we talk about this idea uh, that the Lord waits. And then we're gonna sort of land in uh, this chapter and think through some things that, that sort of cause us to potentially doubt what God is saying. And so what's interesting about this chapter is it's, uh, Isaiah has, we've had, Poetry after poetry. If you look in your Bible, you see like kind of all the indentations and stuff. And that's that's the English translation version of just telling you there's there's a poetic device going on here. That's where we're indenting it to try to communicate to you, since you know most of us don't just read Hebrew, that there's poetry here. And then when you jump into these blocks of text in your Bible, that's switching to just typically it's switching to narrative or a letter like Paul or something like that. So we're we're in this part of Isaiah. Where, we've trans- where we're in a transition. The, the uh, uh, Israel has been dealing with Assyria, and in the second part of the book, when we transition, whenever we do that next year, in the second part of the book after this narrative, they're going to sort of be wrestling with a, another world power, uh, the Babylonian kingdom. So we have Assyria kind of leading up to this, and those are sort of the main Antagonist in this in the in the narrative the whole way, and then after this part is going to be focused on Babylon. So what has been going on in the last six or seven chapters is that God has made it clear through the prophet Isaiah that He's bringing a measure of uh, chaos. <laughs> he's made it clear through the prophet Isaiah that He's bringing a measure of judgment both on the nations and on Israel because he's working to transform his people into what he's determined for them. He's using nations and and countries all over the world. He's he's actually orchestrating all of history to form and shape Israel into the image that he desires for his people. And so what we've been saying in this, this section that we're calling the Lord Waits 
Zuzu is saying is we recognize suffering that God has brought in our lives and in the world. God is teaching us through this section how to respond to him. God is teaching us how to respond. And as he teaches us how to respond to all these things that are going on in our lives, he is there graciously waiting. The Lord is waiting. He, he isn't upset. He isn't like, I told you so. He, he isn't uh, oh, just pouting about it. He is sharing as he brings a measure of suffering. He's sharing with you how to respond so that you could turn back to him and enjoy him. He's graciously waiting. And that's why we've been calling it the Lord waits. And I wanted to, so if you have your Isaiah journal Bibles or you're on your phone, uh, scroll back and look at chapter 28. I want to hit a couple of just high points where God is helping us respond properly as he's waiting for us. He's He's helping us as we look at our lives, as we're struggling, as we're in a situation that, that is just chaotic or, or difficult, how we can appropriately then respond to God as he waits for us. So chapter 28, uh, look at verse 16. And when we go through Isaiah, there won't be any verses on the screen, so I just encourage you to open your Bible or look on your phone. But chapter 28, verse 16, look at what he says. He says, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. So this image, he's saying, hey, my city, I'm the one building it. The, the, The people who I'm gathering to myself, I am the one who has laid the foundation so that what I am building will be sure. And what's fascinating is in the in the New Testament, Jesus calls himself the cornerstone. Jesus says, I am the sure foundation. Who I am and what I'm doing is what what God is using to build his people up into this image that he desires for them. So in Isaiah, he's saying, look, God is saying he's gonna lay the foundation. God is saying he's gonna build everything. So whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever believes will not be in haste. He's encouraging us to say, if you trust me, if you trust my word, you won't be in a hurry because you know that I'm handling it. You know that I'm building my kingdom. You know that I'm the one that will lay the sure foundation. And he's trying to communicate to us that his word is actually what brings rest. Because when things, I mean, I think about Israel, as Assyria is like capturing towns, pulling people off, you know, it's like your neighboring town, it's like Grand Junction got taken away to another country and you're like, whoa, that's a little close and uncomfortable. Like it's this, this, these things are happening. God is communicating to his people, look, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know it's chaotic. And I know you're scrambling a little bit, but if you believe me, if you believe what I'm doing, you can have rest. And so he's waiting for us to believe his words so that you and I could have rest. Let's fast forward a little bit to chapter 29. He kind of gives us 29 verse 18. He tries to help us say, okay, well, how can we find that rest in what God is saying? And he says, in that day, the deaf shall hear the the words of the book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. He's 
Jesus picks up on this in the gospels all over the place as, as he opens the eyes of the blind, as he, as he allows the deaf to hear. And he's, he's telling us that there's a way for you to find rest in what Jesus is offering as he brings the kingdom. And, and here's the answer in the next verse, 19. The meek, or another way to translate that, the humble shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. The humble the humble shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. Amen. It's an interesting parable in Luke where Jesus is sitting at a, uh, a table with someone who doesn't believe there's anything wrong with him. And Jesus says, I, I came to save the lost. I, I came to save those who were in need of a physician. And, and what he's trying to communicate in the same thing that Isaiah is trying to communicate here, he's saying, recognize the Lord is waiting. The Lord wants to give you rest. Recognize that you can't do it on your own. Humble yourself. Recognize that you don't have the ability to find rest and to find peace on your own. You need the Lord to give it to you. We are all poor. We're all, we are all bankrupt without the grace and the beauty of Jesus Christ being given to us. And God's saying, when, when chaos is happening around you, I'm waiting for you to recognize that you actually aren't sufficient. I'm waiting for you to see that you're not able to handle the things, which, which is why I want you to recognize that so you can come to me and find fresh joy in the beauty and the presence of God himself. Let's fast forward again to chapter 30. He's encouraging us to trust what he's saying. Verse one, chapter 30, says, all stubborn children declares the Lord who carry out a plan, but not mine. Who carry out a plan, but not mine. He's saying when, when chaos comes, when difficulty arises, you'll, you'll map out a way to, to deal with it. Like that comes naturally. You're gonna try to, try to shape and mold your day, your life, your week or whatever, yourself so that you can deal with whatever it is God has brought into your life. You carry out a plan, but not mine. And he kind of gives us, you know, the next sentence sort of helps us. What does that mean? And who make an alliance, but not with my spirit. Who make an alliance, but not with my spirit. And he goes on to communicate that the spirit is the one where true strength is found. Yes, there, there, is, there is chaos there's difficulty. There, there, are, there are situations in your life that are complicated and you're thinking about this, but you're ignoring the fact that I have poured out my spirit. You, you might be uh, exhausted or you might be at a loss. You might be not understanding how to handle it. You may not see a way to make it work. And he's saying, but you're, that's okay because the spirit is the, the third person of the Trinity. The spirit is God himself. He's poured out his spirit on his people so that he can do things that are beyond our ability to understand. And he's, he's saying, partner with me. Trust, trust my spirit's ability to work. That's where, that's where you should, that's, I'm, I'm pleading with you to see that. And I'm waiting for you to come back and ask me to help you transform whatever is going on and via the spirit, 
through the Holy Spirit, through the third person of the Trinity. Verse 15 in chapter 30. says, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Another word for returning, it's got, most of your Bibles have a little tiny three. And you can look in the super tiny uh, thing at the bottom there, but repentance. Repentance and rest. Repentance. God is encouraging us. He's waiting for us to reject our ways, to turn from our ways, and to turn to his word, to his spirit, to his ways, to his grace, to his mercy. He's, he's waiting. He, he's, just, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm communicating to you while all these things are going on. I'm communicating to you that you should turn from what you think is right and turn towards what God has said. And he's, he's sitting there graciously waiting. You can, just, you can just look down a few verses in verse 18. It says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Let's jump ahead to 33 and we'll eventually get back into the passage that we read. We're kind of hitting this idea. The, the series theme is that the Lord is waiting. The Lord desires to be in fellowship with you. The Lord desires to transform your heart. Amen. The Lord desires to comfort you and give you rest. And everything in our hearts are pushing back against that. And yet he's there waiting. He's there graciously waiting. We want to use our own plans. We, wanna, we don't want to admit that we have needs. We don't want to turn away from our own ways. And on top of that, there's usually other things that we're worried about. Like just, we, we're, we just get, we're anxious. Things stress us out. Maybe we just don't think about things because then we'll be stressed out. But we, we, another way to say that is we have fear. We're, we're worried about what might happen. We're worried about what is happening. We're worried about what happened in the past. We're worried about what might not happen. Like we could find a thing to be afraid of. We're worried about what someone else might think what we're worried about that might not happen, that could happen. We'll figure a way out to fear things. And God is encouraging us, if you look at chapter 33, he's encouraging us to fear him because he doesn't change. To fear him because the standards are always the same. To fear him because he's a consuming fire. And there's nothing that changes about who he is. There's, st there's actually stability there because of all the different little things that we can be afraid of. That can be different now than before you leave this afternoon. <laughs> what, what you're afraid of this week might be something that you never think of again for the rest of your life. Like our fears are constantly changing into something and something and something and something and something or some different angle. And God is saying, fear me. Be concerned about me because I'm constant. I don't change. I'm stable. Look at what he says in chapter 33, verse five and six. The Lord is exalted. He's, he's making himself known through what he's doing in the world. For he dwells on high. He will fill Zion. It's a, Zion's just an image of his people with justice and righteousness. And, and he, God, will be the stability of your times. 
God will be your stability, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Amen. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And we spent last week kind of talking about the reality that at the end of the day, there is a final judgment. There, all, this, all this sort of uh, tumultuousness and change and justice and injustice and, and sort of fuzziness of what's going on in the world, someday that will be very clear. Someday the thoughts of our hearts will be exposed. And imagining that reality of God's judgment actually presses us towards the one who has already passed through. We, we fear God and say, he is a consuming fire and that fire has been poured out on Christ Jesus. And just like we celebrated with baptism, I've died with him and I've resurrected. <laughs> I've already, I can fear him, but knowing I, fe- I fear that standard, I know in Christ Jesus, I've already passed through that. That's why God is saying, I want you to have a measure of stability. I'm waiting for you to fear me. God is encouraging us as all these chaotic things are going on to fear him and he's waiting. Amen. And he's saying, come back to me. Trust what I've done in and through Jesus Christ. Don't fear all these other things that change. They're not, there's no stability there. There's no stability there. And this whole time, God is communicating to the people of Israel, I'm waiting. I'm communicating all of these things to you. And I'm waiting for you to turn to me. I'm waiting for you to trust my words. I'm waiting for you to humble yourself. I'm waiting for you to turn away from the the ways you think you can handle it. I'm waiting for you to see how powerful my spirit is. I'm waiting for you to stop fearing other things and to fear me. I'm waiting. And he's communicating all these things, chapter after chapter, chapter after chapter, some of our longest scripture readings, um, we're standing up saying, how many more verses are this? He's communicating these things over and over and over again because we need to hear it. We need to hear it. And I think what Isaiah is forcing us to consider is a little bit of our own lives. And I like what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He quotes David, you know, a thousand years before he shows up on the scene. Don't quote me on that timeline, but a long time before. He quotes David and he says to the Pharisees, he says, have you not read what God said to you? Have you not read this thing written forever ago what God said to you. In the same way, here we are in Isaiah. God is waiting for us to return to him. And I think it's appropriate to say, have you not considered what God has been saying to you? God is literally speaking to you directly through his word. Not me, Now, what I'm saying, as we read those passages, this is God speaking to you. And he's saying, where where in your life then is he waiting? 
Where in your life is he waiting to be the thing that gives you rest? Maybe there's something else that you find rest in. Where is God waiting for you to turn back to him? Where, where are we not humbling ourselves? Where do you feel like you just have it under control? And you haven't humbled yourself and said, Lord, I actually need you here. Where in your life do you trust the spirit less than you trust yourself? Where in your life do you need to realize that he has to work? He has to be powerful. He has to accomplish things. Where is God waiting for you to turn to him? Where is God saying, fear me and not this thing that's on your mind all the time? (laughs) Where in your life is God waiting? He's graciously waiting. He's excited for you to come back to him. He looks forward to you recognizing that you can't do it. He loves that. Yes, Lord. And I think what Isaiah is doing in the narrative that we read is he's giving us some things. We have this rabshika, which is like a, essentially an old Assyrian term for like high up general. We've got this dude showing up and he's kind of extra, which is why I like, like the narrative. He's just like, they're like, hey, can you uh, talk in another language so these guys can't hear you? And he's like, not only that, I'm gonna raise the volume and tell them that they're gonna eat their own dung. He's bi- a giant army is behind him, by the way. So we have this dude that's just so extra. And I think what it's doing is it's helping us see It's helping us understand our own doubts that keep God waiting. Like we don't speak like this guy to ourselves usually, but he's such an extra dude throwing out all these crazy things that there's like a little taste of truth in the way we talk to ourselves. He's sort of showing us our doubts that keep God waiting. God is saying all these wonderful, beautiful things to us. He's encouraging us back into his word. He's saying all these things to us. And you and I have doubts that keep God waiting. He'll wait, but we suffer when we don't turn to him. And so in the story, it's interesting. Now we're in chapter 36. And we're we're looking at what are some of the doubts that keep God waiting? Because he said all these wonderful things to you. In the first few verses, he describes the situation. So the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib's king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rapshika, this kind of general guy from Lachish to King Hezekiah, Jerusalem, with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And you're like, it's like someone describing like town locations for you where you've like never been there before. You're like, okay. whatever you say, I don't know where that is. But it's interesting, and you want to mark this in your Bible, chapter seven, verse three, it's the exact same place. And it's another king, Ahaz. And God comes to that king 
and says, hey, I want to help you. And the king is like, never mind, never mind. Things kind of spiral from there. You can go back two years in our sermons if you want to hear anything about that. But it's the exact same place. Here we have another king in the exact same place. And now after God has said all these wonderful things and welcomed his people back, we have a guy show up and kind of just like talk trash. He's at the same situation, the same place. God is asking his people, are you going to trust me and what I've said? Or are you going to trust things in the world and what they're saying? I like the first thing that he says. Verse four. And the rapture said to them, say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? It's interesting. We have, um, we actually have some of the oldest like cuneiform rock things with, with like words on them. Of Sennacherib, writing poems about how awesome he is. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and so he sends this guy, which apparently Hezekiah wasn't just like there being like, we trust God, whatever, you know, like we'll do whatever we want. He was sending money to Sennacherib at certain points to try to like appease him. And for whatever reason, things changed. The relationship between Hezekiah and the Sennacherib, the Syrian king, soured. So that's why the army shows up. It was like, yo, dude, what's the deal? Like, we were cool. And Hezekiah has been going through all these reforms where, where he's calling the people back to trust God. He's, he's pointing them back to true worship. He's reminding them of the law. Hezekiah is doing all these things. And at some point, at some point, Hezekiah must have said, look, Isaiah has said God will take care of us. So we're not on good terms with the king anymore, which is why this army shows up at his door. And he says, are mere words a strategy for war? Some of the doubts, doubts that keep us from turning from what we're doing and turning to the Lord is doubting what God has said. I mean, think about the situation Hezekiah's in. They're in a city, a walled city, with an army surrounding them. And he's like, hey, are the words of a prophet like gonna help you with this, with the armies and the things here? Like the, the swords and the arrows, whatever else they used. And I think in the same way, we can see things that are going on in our lives. We can see these struggles. We can see these difficulties. And God is saying, trust in me. God is saying, humble yourself. God is saying, my spirit is powerful. And we're reading this and we're saying, do mere words help me with my day-to-day? We doubt. We can doubt the power of what God is saying. The rapture gets it. He's like, are you really just going to trust what God is saying? We doubt his word, and that keeps us from turning back to him. That keeps us from finding our rest in him. That keeps us from listening to what he's saying. It's easy to doubt what he's saying. He goes on to give us 
some more doubts, these mere words. Can I just keep, I love how he just keeps talking. He's like, I'm just gonna throw every excuse at you. Verse six, behold, you are trusting in Egypt, the broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. I just the thought of that is like cringy. You know, it's like leaning on it and like piercing your hand. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Which the Rapshika is smart. He knows that Israel has a history of like going back to the nation that God rescued them out of slavery from. We talked about that, like Egypt is like, is like the, the thing that God rescued them from that they just fall back into trusting in. Like if, if you hear the, the story of even when God brought them out of Egypt at multiple points, they're just like, oh, if we could just go back to Egypt where everything was great. And Moses is like, no, you were slaves there. <laughs> like the, you, weren't, you weren't on like good terms, you know? Maybe you had better meals or wandering in the desert, but, but they complain and they say, oh, Egypt, can we just go back to Egypt? And there's, there's even parts in the story where Ahaz, when he doesn't trust what God is saying, he sends money and says, hey, Egypt, let me hook you up with some money, but can you come and help me out with this king problem over here? And I think in the same way, a lot of times God has rescued us from something, even in some dramatic ways, some, some lifestyles that we were in, some things that we went to, God has rescued us from that. And when things get stressful, things get tough, things get, I don't know what's gonna happen, unclear, we go back. We go back to our proverbial Egypt. We go back to the thing that made us feel better before. We fall back into this trap. We say, God has rescued me from this, but I go back to that. And we doubt ourselves. We doubt God's word. We doubt ourselves. Say, so how am I able then to find rest and enjoyment and peace and transformation in God himself if I keep going back to Egypt, if I keep going back to the thing that God has rescued me out of? Those things cause us to doubt and keep cut waiting. He goes on, the Rabshakeh. Verse seven says, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord. And if you look in your Bibles, the Lord is like all capital letters. That's Yahweh. That's the word Yahweh. Like the Rabshakeh knows that he's not just saying like, you just trust in like this generic thing for God. So if you say to me, we trust in Yahweh, our God. Like he's being very specific about which God. See, if you actually, if you trust, if you trust in Yahweh, if you trust in what, what God is capable of, come on, look what he says. Is it not he whose high places and altered Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? He's describing the changes in worship that have happened since Hezekiah has become king. They put all these other places to do sacrifices. If you know anything about the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of words around the tabernacle and then the temple. Like God has designed a place in a way for him to be worshiped. 
And in the Old Testament, the way that you worship God is very detailed. There's a lot of particulars there. And he's basically criticizing their motives. He's a little bit, it's kind of funny because he's like making fun of the fact that they took the high places down and that's actually a good thing. Like Hezekiah, he like doesn't totally understand the worship of God's people, but he's like, look, you're not even doing it right. You're not even doing it right. You, you're saying you trust God, but do you even worship him right? Do you even like go to him appropriately? And I think what he's really picking up on is sometimes we doubt our own motives and intentions around worship of God. Like sometimes we doubt how we approach God. We're saying, well, well I'm going to the Lord, but man, am I doing this for, for what I want? Am I doing this because I love God? I have this like mixture of things going on in my heart. And if I I'm, I'm take a moment to think about why I even go to the Lord in the first place, that can bring doubts. That can bring doubts in my heart. And the rapture, because, you know, he's smart. He's kind of just throwing everything out there. But he, he hits it. He's saying, look, you're saying you trust in Yahweh? Are you even doing that right? Are you even doing that right? From there, it just kind of descends into mockery. He makes fun of them. He's like, look, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you got enough dudes to put, them, put on them. Like, you, you, you're so pathetic. You're so pathetic. And they get a little bit scared. Like him, Shebna, Joah. They're, they're like, look, he's throwing out all these things causing the people to doubt. And there's, there's, like, there's, they're down there talking to him at this particular place and they built a wall and there's soldiers and stuff on the wall would be there to defend themselves against the army that's like they can see. And he's like, Shh. use a language that these guys can't understand, which I'm, I'm thinking about this. And I'm like, what, the way this guy was talking, were they, did they literally think he's gonna be like, oh, okay, I'll, I, won't, I won't scare anyone on the walls. I communicate this to you. But they're, they're, they're nervous and they're worried about it. And they're like, hey, look, you're making everyone doubt and struggle and, and despair. And he just, he just says, look, they should despair. They should despair. They should doubt. Look at how strong the army is. What are you going to do? Look at the circumstances that you're in. How are you going to handle this? It's going to be terrible. It's not going to go well. You should doubt all these things. And then he kind of he kind of gets to the crux of the matter in verse 13. He's essentially telling them to doubt the king and doubt God himself. He's encouraging them to doubt the king and doubt God himself. Look at what he says. Then the rapture stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, you know, just so everybody could hear. Hear the words of the great king, the great king, the king of Assyria, Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. You should doubt the king, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in Yahweh by saying Yahweh will surely deliver us. This city will not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Verse 18 says the same thing. 
Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Because this is what's most important. We can talk about ourselves. We can talk about our motives. We can talk about our doubts as we fall back on things. We can talk about our doubts on how, our, how we approach God. We can talk about how we doubt what God's word is saying and how we're not faithful. But at the end of the day, our faith, our trust, the thing that is a sure foundation is not your ability to worship. It is not how much you trust what God is saying. It's not how many times you go back to something. At the end of the day, the thing that should give you confidence is the king in God himself. And we don't have Hezekiah, which, you know, he did some good things. Ben will talk about that next week. And then after that, I'll talk about the bad things he did. <laughs> a little bit, a little of both. But Hezekiah was a good king generally, did some things. God is going to rescue them. But our confidence is in a king who's perfect. Our confidence is in a king who lived every minute of every day with the perfect motives worshiping God. Our, our, our confidence is in a king who told Satan to his face, <laughs> what God's word says is what I stand by, period, end of story. I trust everything that God has said. We, we trust in a king who humbled himself perfectly, even to death on a cross. That's where our confidence should be. The, the rapture is bringing up doubts that we have about ourselves, about how we approach God, about what we trust in those things. And we should say, yes, I doubt myself all over the place on that front. We should say, I don't trust him like I should. I don't worship him with motives to see his glory and majesty. Sometimes I just kind of want him to fix some things. I don't always humble myself. I think I'm pretty good at some stuff. We... We should doubt ourselves. He's saying, but don't. We should never doubt the king that we put our trust in. We should never doubt Jesus Christ and the fact that he is ruling and reigning and is determined to make every enemy his footstool. Amen. We should, he, uh, Arwen read it for us this morning. We should never doubt the one who will never tire until he is about justice into the world. This is the beauty, the wonder, the majesty of the gospel. The good news is Jesus himself. When God is communicating all these things to us and saying, I'm waiting for you to come back to me. I'm waiting for you to turn to me. I'm waiting for you to humble yourself so that you can have fresh joy in who I am. When God is saying all of these things to us and, and in our minds, we're doubting and our minds are saying, oh, this isn't gonna work. And our minds are saying, man, I just gonna drop the ball again. And our minds are saying, but my motives aren't totally pure. And our mind is saying, I really don't trust what God is saying. We should say, I don't, but I can turn and come back to God and enjoy him because I trust in Jesus Christ himself. I trust in the king that has literally done everything perfect and is now ruling and reigning on his throne. I trust in the better Hezekiah, the one who doesn't do good things and then mess up later. He is there. He is perfect. He is glorious. He is majestic.
when God is saying, come to me, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you. Amen. And in your head, you begin to have doubts. You're not sure that you'll be able to get from point A to point B. He's saying, trust in the king. Don't doubt. Doubt yourself. <laughs> That's okay. We should doubt ourselves. We should humble ourselves. We should have doubts about our ability. But then turn your eyes to Jesus and say, this is my king that I trust in. This is the reason why the Holy Spirit is poured into my heart. This is the one who is determined to bring his kingdom. This is the one who's capable, more than capable, of drawing me into the presence and majesty of God himself. The Lord is waiting, graciously, patiently, caring for you. He's saying, I know you have doubts, but don't doubt my king. Don't doubt my son in whom I'm well pleased. He is more than capable of bringing you back into my presence. Let's pray.